gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you Welcome one more time to our Faith Walking Meditations. We are today wrapping up a long conversation that we have had about the journey of spiritual formation. The topic today is social spirituality. Following, We have followed the book of Robert Mulholland, the book, uh, his work in the book, Invitation to a Journey, a Roadmap for Spiritual Formation. He has taken us from uh, the Briar, uh, um, personality, uh, uh, I forget right now the, the name of the, <laughs> of the assessment, but in this journey of uh, all the elements of, of our spirituality, some things that are our own gifts and, and uh, Maya Briggs uh, personality um, uh, kind of test. Uh, and it has taken us to uh, understanding the, the value of corporate uh, spirituality, the community in, in our journey of spiritual formation. And today we're going to talk about social spirituality. Um, Mulholland uh, talks about corporate spirituality, thinking in the sense of how our journey of, uh, of being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others it is, has, it is for the sake of the body of Christ, of those in the body of Christ. And uh, today is, uh, the conversation is going to be exploring how this uh, journey is also for the sake of those who are outside of the body of Christ. You know, it's, it's a very uh, a testimony for other people. Like this, this quote that I think expre expresses this very, very well. Our spiritual formation comes within a corporate and a social context. Our growth towards wholeness in Christ is for the sake of others within the body of Christ, that we might nurture one another into the wholeness of Christ. Our growth of towards wholeness is also for the sake of others beyond the body of Christ, that the redeeming, healing, transforming love of God might be made known in a broken and hurting world i love it there is something in me that is awakened every time that i am invited to remember about this purpose uh, i always say that uh, after salvation the the best thing that we receive from christ is purpose what a beautiful calling to to serve as lights or testimonies of of uh, the redemption the healing the transforming love that god wants to provide so we're going to talk about social spirituality, but that, what does it mean for us uh, to be this kind of light, this kind of testimony for those who are not in the body of Christ? So personal holiness or social holiness, this is a conversation, right? And it might be a very um, long conversation, sometimes hard conversation for men. You know, is this about the personal holiness in me or this is about the transforming of... of um, of the world, uh, social justice, right? And uh, I think more and more uh, we, we are trying to integrate these two, but especially a few years ago, uh, maybe a decade ago, this was a really big conversation, 
some some somehow confrontation, right? And the truth is, as in in many things of our spiritual journey, this is a tension. It is hard. It's kind of a, a dialectical reality, right? Uh, we need personal holiness, but when we make our spiritual journey only about personal holiness, what we discover is that the there are dangers that is not helpful. We become very judgmental. <laughs> we become uh, very uh, kind of a Pharisee kind of, of, of view, right? We, we know the, the truth and we have it and this is about changing. We, we, we create a little rule and we use our little rule to measure everything and to make sure that everything fits, right? And that is not very loving sometimes, right? Nothing else is transformed and actually... Um, yeah, there is no testimony towards others or the testimony that we give is more legalistic and rigid instead of loving. Now, we need personal holiness for sure. God is about changing us, right? We need standards. We need to know a core center that is real and transforming for us. On the other side, we need social holiness, and uh, for the sake of others, in, in this definition of the spiritual journey by Mulholland, uh, this is for the sake of others. And, um, and this is what we see in Christ. He gives his life for others, for us, and he transforms in a very deep and profound way um, how we think, how we see justice or injustice, how we see community. But when we make only uh, our spiritual journey only about social holiness is not sustainable. You know, I, I had the opportunity to, to, to talk and to learn with several people um, during these couple of years with the Living School of, of uh, uh, Contemplation. Lots of people who are in social justice in one way or another that somehow became more present to their spiritual journey and they start studying the mystics and all of that. And the question, and there is actually a testimony about that in the book, but I, I've seen it. I've talked with some of these people. Why are you doing this? You know, what, what moved you? What is the motivation? The motivation is that as I was fighting for justice, I discovered that I could not sustain that. It was coming from a center that was really broken. It was coming from my own anger. And from my own desire to control, I can. This cannot be how it is. So, this is a good quote also for Mulholland. A genuinely Christian spirituality is not only rooted in the in a vital, growing relationship with God at the heart of one's being, but also incarnated in the reality of the social, economic, and political context in which one lives. Such a spirituality is relevant, revolutionary, transforming. So there is a need for both. And um, learning to flow, if that makes sense, in this, to attend to these two kind of forces uh, or motivations, uh, it's important. So Christ is speaking. Right, Sermon of the Mountain. This is the Passion Translation. This is one of several passages when you see this tension. Jesus' words, your lives light up the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? 
and who will light a lamp in, and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's place where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others, so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. And then, and I'm sorry, and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 14, 16, in the Passion Translation. Lights of the world. And this is the tension. So the light needs to be real, right? It cannot be fake. Transformation has to be real. If not, it's not lighting anything. <laughs> and it has to be placed on a hilltop. So one of those tensions that we find sometimes hard to live. So a couple, a couple ideas. In the world, but not of the world. Right? This is an echo of, of the words of Jesus, right? You are in the world, but you are not from the world or of the world. So this tension, and, and Mulholland uses this, uh, this language, you know, between kingdom values and culture values. He, he actually uses the idea of New Jerusalem versus falling Babylon. You know, so this is, this is the, the, the place where we have to acknowledge that there are kingdom values that are not culture values. <laughs> we cannot make Christianity or values of the kingdom fit completely into culture because we will be changing them, right? We will be uh, not holding them with integrity. And, uh, you know, on the, on the other side, we cannot say that culture values are, are kingdom values. I mean, both sides, right? And they, they are different. That is the tension. And many of us, and this is my experience, have a hard time managing these kind of tensions. We, we, we experience anxiety when we live in tensions. We don't want it. So we want to somehow solve the tension and we either change the values or change the culture or deny the culture, right? Nothing is happening. All is okay. But the tension is real. And the, the idea of, of kingdom values is not just to have a, an intellectual concept or a moral concept to, to just to talk about and teach in Sunday school. The truth is that kingdom values are to be lived in the culture. There are no other way, ways where we can live these values. We can live the values that many of us you know, have that tension that I think it has harmed us and others more than anything, is that we leave these values inside the church, right? Only with people around the church. But when we are not there, we are not leaving them. And there's no judgment in my words, but um, the idea is to leave the values, not only in the church, but outside the church especially. It seems that the body of Christ becomes a place of encouragement, right? But not a disconnection, compartmentalizing these two worlds. And we see that in Christ. Christ comes himself and incarnates himself not only as a rabbi of the law, but he not only teaches at the temple, but he, he is in the culture. He, he talks with real people in real places. Uh, and he doesn't abandon the temple either, right? That, that is one of those tensions that we forget, right? And that was actually a place of tension, <laughs> that temple. So, 
we have to learn to embrace this, this reality, this tension, because avoiding the tension either creates isolation from the world and we become a subculture, you know, with a different kind of language. And, and that's it. You know, we are always defending and protecting or judging, right? Or uh, avoiding this tension compromise, compromises the kingdom values and conforms us, our spirituality, to the predominant culture. And we don't see that either in Jesus. So here you have, for social spirituality, requires this skill. And we talk about this a lot in faith walking, right? Of learning to live in this tension. We, we, we talk about differentiation of self, for example, right? And we say we are to define instead of defend. Many of us are defend, defending Christianity, defending God. <laughs> But it is more about defining, living, incarnating our values while still being, still being connected with culture, right? So this is Kenneth Leach, and he's quoted in these last couple chapters of the book, uh, Holland. He writes, following the leadership of Jesus, his church needs to stand as the sign of contradiction and of conflict, affecting and, as it were, upsetting through the power of the gospel, mankind, mankind's criteria of judgment, determining values, points of interest, lines of thought, sources of inspiration, and models of life which are in contrast with the word of God and the plan of salvation. It's a pretty clear, I would say even pretty hard, hard words calling the church to be very well defined. You can say that the, the guiding principles of the church, kingdom values, are to, are to really contrast cultural values. So it's a kind of a prophetic invitation right so how do we live in this tension these are a few ideas that uh, Holland invites us to consider he writes our purpose should be to live out the values and dynamics of the new Jerusalem in the midst of the values and dynamics of fallen Babylon it's really easy to say right it's deep hard to do I like, I like how he, he puts that. So being faithful citizens of the new kingdom, right? We have to choose who we are. This is a, a work on identity, of definition, of guiding principles. Who do you want to be? Who, who I want to be? I put it this way. Where is home? Where, where is my real home? I'm not trying to be very cheesy in, in thinking it's going to be just in the future or, or not, but where is home? You know, the Bible is full of, of examples of, of this idea of, of where is home. When everything else fails, what is my center? Where is home? And we are to think the, that loyalty or faithfulness that we have to that, that idea. I, I like, uh, I, I was reading, I remember it was a, a biography or thoughts about the life of, of Billy Graham. And, you know, it's, 
I think I admire many, many, many aspects of life, but uh, reading about the struggle of his own faith, you don't say, what, did he struggle? Did he ever struggle? Well, yes, he did. And, you know, I love when people have the courage to express those struggles. He, he talks about the, uh, a long walk that he took uh, at the golf uh, course, and it was kind of his place of meditation and prayer, you know, surrounded by nature. And when he was uh, struggling with some of these questions, and he made a choice, right? And that was it, you know, for him. At some point, he made a choice and said, well, no, this is who I am. And uh, that choice was the beginning of, of that. So where is home? Where is my home? Where is your home? To live in this tension, we need to define first where is home. We're invited to choose, right? We cannot have one foot in one place and the other one in the other place. I think that is just painful death. <laughs> so another thought is that we can't do this if our personal journey is not real. So this requires a lot of integrity. It requires a lot of authenticity and vulnerability within ourselves and maybe with other people. You know, I cannot, or I can fake this, but it's not going to last for long. You know, eventually it's not going to be life-giving. I have to do my own personal work, and that work needs to be real. There is no way to live successfully in this tension if I, uh, I don't pursue integrity in my own journey. We can do this if our personal spirituality is not sustained by a real community, what Mulholland calls corporate spirituality. Yeah, the, the, the idea of uh, an indi uh, being a, in a personal spirituality, you know, I don't need other people in my world with God, really doesn't work really well. We need people to sustain us. We need people to correct us. We need people to speak into our lives. We need people to love us when we can't love ourselves in, in our failures. And I really like this, this last point of uh, Holland is the goal of our spirituality is not confrontation per se, but modeling a different path. Example of Jesus. So uh, uh, Kenneth Leach was talking about confrontation, and I think I, I like a lot the point of this is not about picking a fight with culture necessarily. This is uh, about uh, modeling something different, providing an alternative. Um, I remember, uh, I think it's Richard Rohr who talks about the, the best criticism of uh, what is wrong, he says, is, is doing what is right, you know? We just don't need to sit down and, and judge, 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 you know, that we have a lot of people judging, that we have very, very little people doing what is right. And that is the call. That is the living of, of, of values and tension. It's not fighting, it's not judging, it's not condemning. There will be a space for condemnation, but it is actually, um, it's, it's, it's about uh, modeling a different path. And that is the example that we see in Jesus. So again, Robert Mulholland, we are being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others within the body of Christ and for the sake of others outside the body of Christ. 
corporate spirituality and social spirituality are inseparable. Elements of the wholeness and of the wholeness of, of our journey in faith. So we need both. Uh, one uh, expression requires the other. So only, only corporate spirituality without social spirituality, is it, there's no place to shine, <laughs> right? And only corporate spirituality um, is, is incomplete if we consider uh, the example of Jesus. We need both. So I'd like to stop here and invite some of your thoughts. What, uh, what are you present to? Comments or questions? Well, I guess I'll speak. <laughs> when you're, the, the very last thing you said about the spiritual and social spirituality, I never realized until the last four years how often you know, I thought what was corporate spirituality was, you know, just attend church, just read your Bible, just, you know, all these religious practices um, that I was doing, thinking that I was incorporating that into my life, you know, living for Christ on a daily basis, which it, that wasn't it. I was actually, I mean, I intended in it, but I didn't realize so I got into faith walking how, I mean, literally every day has to be that spiritual form. I mean, that, that walk, I mean, in everything that you do, um, I mean, and, and just in every path you go, everyone that you're involved with, it, it's got to be a part of it. And um, and it makes me sad when I look at others that only see this world. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. You know, you hear on the news constantly, the shootings, the the bad news every day. And, and then I, it makes me sad when I think about people out there thinking that life has no purpose, except that you work, you breathe, and you die, and that's the end not being able to connect any kind of hope or anything into this other home, which I know the real home is, is not here. It's not this right now, but that's what helps me get through really tough times. And, but I see so many others, which is why a lot of the heinous stuff has been happening is because they, they, they don't have any hope. They don't understand. And they're never going to understand unless people together as Christians, you know, as a whole, actually walk it out you know like you said when somebody brings up something that they they struggled with nobody wants to listen to somebody that says oh I live the perfect Christian life and nothing ever happened to me you know that their walk was just amazing and you know they're holier than thou you know and that's why so many people have fallen away they need hope and we have to be that hope out there and present it not in judgment that's it Thank you, Brenda. Yeah. We were talking about this in our breakout group because there is so much um, divisiveness out there um, under the Christian label. My denomination better than your denomination. I've got the corner in the market of truth. Um, one, and I, as I was telling, um, Laura and Michelle, one I heard recently from a good friend that one local church here said that it's only their small independent church that have people going to heaven. Um, that's just appalling that it would be that small. Um, and I agree that we can't just be speaking about it. We have to live it. 
um, because if we're just speaking about it, it, it comes across as judgmental. Yeah, thank you, Judith. Yeah. I can relate a lot to um, what you said, Brenda, and I have a, so I have a camping trip coming up this weekend with a um, single moms ministry that I lead. And I was telling the ladies, I wasn't planning on doing like any kind of Sunday service. And then the Lord gave me um, kind of a message to go along with some worship we had, but it was about um, a lot of it was about that and, you know, being willing to share your testimony and and like the scripture that says we should always be prepared to give an account for the hope that we have is near and dear to my heart because, yeah, I think we should have, we shouldn't be looking like we're living without hope and we should be always prepared to share why we aren't. Um, and I know I've found, unfortunately, even within the church, there sometimes can be judgment and shame around sharing your past and your stories, which um, is so so unfortunate, I think, that even I've been a part of churches or small groups when, um, you know, somebody, if somebody says, oh, I used to struggle with this thing or something, and people say, oh, no, 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 well, we're not going to talk about that, because that's not who you are anymore, but you're a new creation. Shh, shh, don't act like you ever struggled with anything, because now you're new, you know, and I'm like, well, how is that encouraging, or you know, for anyone else who is still struggling, and they think, ever, oh, these Christians, they all have their act together, and um, I thought that before I was a believer, I thought, oh, I can't go to church. These people, they don't have problems. I got all kinds of problems. Like they're all doing the right things. And here I am messing up. You know, I can't do that. <laughs> I won't be welcome there. Um, and that's so, so harmful. But I think, yeah, even in Christian circles, sometimes it can be hard, probably more so than in non-Christian circles to speak up about, um, you know, our, our challenges, even if they are in the past, sometimes people kind of, you know, poo-poo that away. Um, yeah, that is a big, that's a big thing, though, just being willing to share and speak up. I think it's so encouraging um, to other people. And it's so biblical. You know, we see people in the Bible, Jesus heals people, and they go tell people. They're not, they're excited. They're not like, hush, hush about it. I mean, I, sometimes I know he did tell people, don't tell anyone yet, because it's not time. But um yeah, you know, they're excited. Yeah, yeah. My, my my husband my husband would never join the men's groups in church. And, you know, actually, he's been in church. He was one of the first baptized at one of our church's new baptism when we were uh, Lutheran. Um, when, when my youngest was five, he's 18 now. But what was so sad is that he never felt welcome because he always felt like he had to hide his, his secrets, hide his stuff, and, and how much different it would have been if, if somebody had just embraced him and, and all of everything. And just, I mean, he does not have relationships outside of his job and me because he, he always feels like he's got to hide his, you know, that, that personal self. And, you know, I know his private self. Well, maybe I hope, <laughs> I don't know, but, but, but the reason I, I thought, well, that was the whole reason, it, you know, we ended up together. And when I think about it, because I, I didn't throw stones. I just never threw stones. You know, maybe he was supposed to be in my life for a season and actually not my married partner. I don't know. <laughs> but too late it, now, Brenda. <laughs> but <he> back. <laughs> and we have two beautiful children from it. But it's just what what you were saying. I mean, ha, have you ever been in in church? Well, surely you have. You've been somewhere, even if it's a table of Christians that are sitting and having dinner, they just come out of church service. And they look like they've all been sucking on lemons. You know, it's like, 
where's this joy? You this unspeakable joy. There's supposed to be the light, you know. Yeah. You know, lately I've been talking with uh, young church planters, you know, and that's a very interesting journey too to talk with them and uh, even considering the millennials and, and all the circumstances that are going on. And, and this real desire for for what is truth, right? For integrity. You know, like uh, there's a, some, I remember this pastor telling me, yeah, it seems that we were, and there's no judgment in my words, but really, but I, I didn't, I didn't uh, grow up um, in a, evangelical family right my my brokenness in a different way but you know these these people saying you know we we grew up in this and we were taught we heard the integrity a lot you know and our parents put a lot of emphasis in character and being real and authentic but now we are seeing this fall right this fall of values and there is this kind of they 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 just want to reject everything altogether and um yeah, you know, it, it is a desire and it is a crisis, you know, of this integrity of living values that go beyond learning uh, doctrine, but uh, living uh, examples of, of justice. And and then you you read the, the life of Jesus and you see that that's exactly, as you say, I think it was, Laura, you said this is very biblical. Yes, it is. It is very biblical, right? That's the tension that we are living. The thing that resonated most with me in um, in what you were talking about, Marcus, was uh, knowing where we live. Um, and I was sharing in our breakout group, this was the topic of our sermon in the church service yesterday. I love it when the Lord you know, connects the dots like that. Um, And um, it was being in the world, but not of it. And, And a major point he made, well, two major points. One was, uh, knowing the ways of God, knowing in a deep way in our, in our hearts, not just by head knowledge. Uh, And to me that tied our scripture, uh, that we meditated on at the beginning of our time uh, was, you know, was was along that line, and and then the other was um, knowing who we are, and we are new creations, and uh, so it's like living in the tension of yes, I have all these problems, but I am a new creation, and I'm not going to quit saying that <laughs> um, because that. That to me is speaking the truth, um, and um, anyway, I just uh, knowing where we live and who and who we are. You know, I it, I was reminded I didn't say this in our breakout group, but um, something that that I felt like the Lord spoke to me a while back was when I was kind of meditating before him before him on this question of who am I, um, I felt like he spoke to me that 
my identity was the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it was kind of like uh, names having meaning. And if you like the movie Dances with Wolves, which I love that movie, where, you know, Native Americans would give names that meant something. And as opposed to just the name that, you know, carried down in my family or that I was, you know, that... And that, and that part of my identity is the joy of the Lord is my strength. And uh, I have to remind myself of that. And, and, uh, and, and um, that's a very, very meaningful identity for me. And helps me in lots of situations to come back to that. Thank you. So I, I think that is key. So, you know, it is very real. It's very personal. <laughs> and it has to be real. It has to be very well anchored in a center that is very conservative, if you want to use that word. <laughs> it's not changing. It is, it is the, the, it is the word of, the word of, of God. It is, it is a center that knows a name. It is not ambiguous. It is very real. But at the same time, it is offered with such generosity that is not judging, right? And, and I, I like to reflect a couple of things that I think is very helpful is to see this, the, the, the role, if you want, the value, the impact of a healthy corporate spirituality, of a healthy group of people, community, you know? I was talking about home. Where, where is home, right? But, you know, I, I think even as, as an example, uh, faith walking. And remember, faith walking is, is a great community. It's very imperfect and is not a church. It's not the body of Christ itself, but it has a lot of people who are from the body of Christ. So, so somehow we, we find ourselves, but the aspects that makes this life-giving uh, is the spaces where we can be honest, right? When we can share our struggles, the struggles of our identity without being immediately ministered or, and I say that a little bit of a facetious way, right? Immediately not judged, not condemned, not told that we, we cannot struggle, but actually we hold our brokenness together as much as we hold our preciousness together. The spaces of truth, the spaces when we learn to define and we, we, we learn to be kind of curious and, and, open to our own brokenness. The spaces where we allow those tensions to exist without having to, to, to give in into anxiety. I think one of the benefits of talking about anxiety and shame is that we are aware of those, those uh, dynamics in our lives. You know, and I always wonder, what, what does it take, Lord, to bring this kind of self, this kind of a space more to a greater and a greater uh, perspective to our churches, to the body of Christ. But we need that. I, I, I was very, very formed in uh, the community of people who love that way. So what comes to your mind as you think of this reality of corporate spirituality and social spirituality? I had to write down your quote 
Marcos, that we hold our brokenness together as much as we hold our preciousness together. That's that's such a lovely image, and I think it's something we have to remember. It's worth it was worth writing down. Thank you. Yeah, well, we need to be reminded of both, right? Because when I think I'm only precious, <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I need a, somebody to give me some feedback because it's pride and it's very dangerous. And sometimes when I think that I'm only broken, I need somebody to, to encourage me and to remember that I am more than my brokenness. Indeed. I mean, there's nothing worse. Well, I can't say nothing worse. That's a little overstatement. But, but you know, when you are broken and you are going through a difficult time, to have somebody just Bible thump you and say, well, 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 you know, you're a Christian, you know what you're supposed to do. And, and just totally bypass the whole, I mean, there are people that have, I mean, people, I mean, I personally have experienced, you know, when you've lost a loved one or you've, you've gone through an excruciating time and, and no matter how much your faith and no matter what, you know, to have somebody say, oh, you didn't have enough faith. You're not reading your Bible enough. You're not, you're, or what, what is God doing to you? If all these things are going wrong, I actually had a family member say that a couple of years back. That's when we lost our home during Harvey. And it's like, boy, you know, God must be really mad at you. You know, and I'm like, wow. You know, in Ecclesiastes says the good and bad falls on us all, regardless. And, you know, when we, when we are out there, we, we have to be non, like we've been talking about non-judgmental, you know, if somebody's struggling, be there with them or, or if you can't help them, maybe find a resource for them. You know, you can't make anybody get help for whatever the situation is, but but just knowing somebody cares enough, you know, to, to even, that would be the Christian thing to do, not just, man, I'm just praying for you. I'll pray that God provides you. You know, if you got help, if you're able to help somebody, help them, you know, but I know that's what the scripture says. I can't quote the exact one, not just give them a pat on the back. I'll pray that you get some groceries or pray that your car gets fixed. Hey, maybe try to help them find a, those are the things that speak louder, I believe as a Christian, you know, even if it, there was an example many years ago where no joke had went after every male I could find in my church to help me help this man that was broke down. It was a Sunday morning. I was in worship. We, we had stuff starting, you know, pretty soon, but this guy, I, I noticed he'd been out there for hours. I couldn't get no one to leave. They're like, Oh, well, we got this and that going. We can't help it. I ended up going and picking him up. He couldn't speak a word of English. He was scared of me, actually. <laughs> and you don't just go pick up a man these days out there. He just needed a jack to get his, I had to go get a jack to get his tire off and change it. That was it. You know, but I felt so sorry for him, you know, but he felt the love of God at that moment because somebody cared enough. Can you imagine all those people driving into church and he's broke down right in front of it? Nobody stopped. What if, you know, somebody, if, what if I hadn't stopped? You know, anyway, sorry. It's good. I think we're all very thirsty for that kind of spirituality, especially in days like this, right? So I, I, we're drawing, we're dying in all this information that we need. Uh, we need real, real spirituality. We need real contact, love, and integrity, you know, and I'm not talking about morality, real. So. 
And that reminds me too, Brenda, as you were sharing that example, I think what differentiates us as Christians from the world is that love in the practicing love and also in joy. And that's been brought up a little bit in our conversation too. And Saul, I, I love that you have your identity based in the joy of the Lord as your strength. Um, yeah, I've just, I've read that book. Some of you are familiar with the, you know, the other half of church. And he talks about how important joy is and that God wired us for joy. And um, yeah, that's what differentiates us from from the world. It got me thinking too about how many things I think of this somewhat often, like I feel like faith and being a Christian, so much of it is about holding things in tension. Like what Brenda was saying with the tension between not getting too wrapped up in works, but also not being complacent, you know, and then also like what Saul was saying, you know, I'm a new creation, but I do still have brokenness. And there's, you know, so many things that we're just called to hold in tension as believers that seem kind of contradictory on the surface, but you know, they're both. And, um, yeah, that was good. What you said, Brenda, I have a friend on a more of an acquaintance that, um, used to go to, I met her through my church and then she and her husband haven't gone for a long time. Cause I think they were kind of disenchanted, not with the church in particular, but they had some things with believers. Maybe they didn't think were showing the love of Christ. Like you said, in practical ways. And she posted something on Facebook the other day that stung, not me personally, but kind of for Christians as a group, I felt, but it was true. She said, you know, my, my husband and my kids asked me, what's, you know, what are we going to have for dinner? They're hungry. And I just told them, don't worry, dinner's in my thoughts and prayers. And I know she meant it as kind of a snarky comment, but there's some truth to it. I hear people that people are really going through something. They say, oh, well, I'll be praying for you, which is very valid. And we should be praying for people. But if it ends there, we we haven't represented the love of Christ as well as we could have, you know. I mean, not that we can help in practical ways in every situation, of course, but yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, friends. What a great conversation. I think we could stay a lot longer talking about this, not we. But I think it's, it's good for us to, to stop here. And um, I'd like to just to share our, our blessing as we usually do as we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm gonna look twice at you Until I see the Christ in you I'm looking through the eyes of love Till I'm looking through the eyes of love